The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Which leads to one inescapable conclusion. Santa Claus is a mutant. This is the Totally Super Holiday Edition. Hi, welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And look, guys, before we get started, um, yeah, we know we have been inconsistent as hell in terms of getting these shows out there right now. Um, there's been a lot going on. Uh, uh, Arthur, I don't know how much you want to talk about or not talk about. Oh, it's Facebook. I mean, it's, it's live on Facebook, which means it's available to the whole world. Yeah. The, uh, so (laughs) my Kelly is, uh, expecting not one, but uh, two wonderful bouncing baby boys coming the new year. So, uh, needless to say, that's taken a lot of my focus. And, and let's put this in superhero terms. Arthur has infected his spouse with two parasites that are pulling from her energy daily. How is and he is being he is being forced into the construction of a realm that will allow them to rule the world. How is infecting with two parasites superhero? That's straight up Ridley Scott. I know. Well, uh, a Ridley Scott superhero movie might be interesting. Uh, there's overlap. Ever, there's overlap. Did you ever see Prometheus? I never. I never actually saw that one. So the the well, I'm going to spoil the end of it for you. At the end of Prometheus, there is um, one of these situations where like a, a building that let's say it's slightly smaller than the, the than the Washington Monument, but it has sort of the same proportions mm-hmm. is about to fall on one of the main characters. We're literally turning left or turning right just slightly, just slightly. would have <laughs> saved their life entirely. But the, the big tragedy at the end is that they only run forward and get smashed. Oh. And it just just bothers me like, because it's a maybe they were a descendant of Derek Zoolander. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it's it's sort of like the problem that I have with the first Tomb Raider movie is that I found it a passable movie, except at the very end, the entire plot like hinged on who can climb up a small hill in a dream faster. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're just like, really? 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 <laughs> like, you got there at the end of the script, and you were like, and it was a pretty good script. It wasn't great. Mm-hmm. It wasn't groundbreaking. But it was okay. But you're just like, oh, it's like 1030. Yeah. Clicky clacky click. Oh, it's ten thirty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Run up a hill. Yeah. I got, I got, a, I got a meeting. I, I'll tell you the one, uh, the one like superhero area that I'm already thinking about with, uh, with the boys because they are identical twins. We know this for sure. Uh, which there's this nagging feeling at the back of my mind that's like, is one of them destined to choose the path of light and the other to choose the path of dark, leading into some like epic you know conflict battle when they both come of age for the fate of the galaxy you know i i think um that that you would be remiss if you didn't name them after the twins from gi joe <laughs> like tomas and samot what are that was that their names do you know what of, i'm talking about all the twin names that we have uh, entertained uh the ones from gi joe have not made the list i'll i'll need to add that the, the, <laughs> well i mean how how many 
how many twins do they have out how many twins do they have out there that are uh, that are both like boys how many twins are, are out there in fiction that that I, I are will it, now this is an interesting thing going into you know me and my interest in stories there's i haven't found that many twin uh stories what i have found are there's a whole lot of you know there's a whole lot of sister stories and a whole lot of brother stories and the sister stories are usually ones where you know they grow very close but then they sort of they grow apart life sort of takes them in different directions but at the end they can always rely on each other and for some reason so many of the brother stories that i've uh seen recently blood brother uh blood brothers prince of egypt all of them are brothers who are close at the beginning but then are destined to follow completely different paths which inevitably puts them in conflict with each other like go it is a it is a distressingly common theme in brother storylines uh to the degree that i'm like i gotta specifically look for stories that are like hey hey son it's okay. You you can like each other when you grow up. In fact, that's probably the likely thing. Well, I I mean, stories are about conflict, right? Of course, that's the, so. Every story you get are gonna have is gonna involve, you know, a conflict has to happen. And if you the what's the most dramatic thing to do to twins? You know, the, mm-hmm. rip them apart and put them back together. Or you know what you should do? You should. This can take a little work, but you should change your name to Locutus. And and force force uh, uh, your lovely bride to change her, her name to Queen, and then whoever comes out first is one of two, and the other one is two of two, <laughs> because that won't form any kind of comparative. Uh... Uh, hangups at all and 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 the, and the thing is when they try and have other names you just refer to them as one and two and you call yourself you call yourself you you uni, unimatrix arthur that's what the, the name is is one two of unimatrix arthur and, and and then she is the queen of unimatrix arthur and you have to replace everything in your house with like techno organic borg stuff and just like see how long you can keep it going convincing them that they're part of a hive mind <laughs> Well, let's be honest. I'm I'm smart homing my home enough that it's becoming part of the Borg hive mind anyway. Thank thank goodness I'm not the parent of boys. <laughs> e. E. Oh no, I messed up. Speaking of which, I think we should jump. We right should probably in. talk the, about the movie that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, it is. It is the it is the uh, holiday season. We are uh, working on plans to make this more consistent and more scheduled. So uh, so we might hit some snags in December. But come uh, January, I would expect uh, that you can hear us more on the regs we have lots of things to cover uh we've already talked that the uh, next films we're going to cover are the chris evans fantastic four movies which are going to be great after that we have um the the charlie's theron what was it called the, the old um, guard the old guard so we have fantastic four and rise of civil silver surfer followed by the old guard i know that we've got black widow just coming up around the corner um so much going on uh and and we're going to be part of it so we have not forgotten you but here's your christmas gift uh or hanukkah gift or kwanzaa gift or or secular gift or gift for your baby it's your birthday um new year's gift whatever you want the gift to be uh here is uh rise of the guardians is this a superhero film Yes or no? I'll go first. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's the well, the the metric that I apply from here on out is: is it more of a superhero film than The Crow? And the answer to that is a definitive yes. So, ergo, it is a superhero film. How about that? Oh, here's a great question. How do we like we've the big question we've had over the entire podcast has been: what makes a superhero movie? Is it that it's more a superhero film than it's not a superhero film? Ah, 
it's there's a there's certain things that we could apply to it. There's it's always a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to is this superhero or is it not? Uh, yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest. The films that are superhero films, with rare exception, are the ones where we're like, we like this film. Let's review it. Yeah, it's a superhero film. I don't know. I think there's a there's you know what was the old thing that they said back in um, the seventies or sixties like about what is pornography? Where they said they said I can't tell you exactly what it is, but you know it when you see mm, it. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, apt. You know, I I think that you know I I think that maybe we should like the definition might be what is not not a superhero film. <laughs> like like if you go is is this not a superhero? Film? You couldn't look at this film and go this is not a superhero film. Oh, that's now, true. You, same thing with the crow. You couldn't look at the crow and go the crow is not a superhero. So we'd film. be go, proving well, the actually, negative. Yeah, I mean that that, that because like like you, I I know it's fun to go oh the crow is not a superhero film except it's about a superhero. Yeah. And same thing you could say and with Logan. Based off a Logan comic. is yeah, Logan is not a superhero film, except it's totally based on a superhero. And I think as superhero films do as 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 they're as they're going to do now that there have been a billion. It used to be you just could make a superhero. You just make Batman. It's called Batman. It's just Batman, and it has Batman in it, mm-hmm. so it's a Batman superhero film. Yeah. But now that there have been a thousand of them, you go, you know, is Captain America: The Winter Soldier a superhero film? Because it is like for ninety percent of it, it's a spy thriller. Yeah. That that occasionally. Like he'll do like 20 seconds of superhero stuff and then you're back to being a spy spy thriller. So I think that's as time goes on and we get so many superhero films and they all are making the attempt to differentiate themselves from each other. I think that then you sort of necessarily have to go, it's a superhero film because it's intended to be. I think that's mm, the thing. It's, it's the intent of the people making it was to make a superhero film or to decidedly make a non-superhero film with a superhero, which is thereby also a superhero film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Completely. Uh, which is the long way of saying, yes, Rise of the Guardians can easily be called a superhero film. Oh, yeah. This is this is these these guys. Look, Marvel could sue. Marvel could absolutely sue when it comes to like someone grab their story beats and the story structure <laughs> for all the most like basic like Marvel team films. Um, And it's it's like it's right here. Beat for beat for beat for beat for beat. There's there's very you know, I, I liked this film and we're going to talk about, you know, how it how you liked it and how I liked it. But it's in terms of its story structure. It is unbelievable. Oh yeah, predictable. there are Everything there are so many happen. tropes to it, and 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 it knows what it's doing. It's not by accident that it is the way it is. So um, let's talk real quick. Uh, the tale of the tape for this film. This film uh, came out October tenth, twenty twelve, at the Mill Valley Film Festival. Released wide November twenty first, twenty twelve. Good lord, was States. it really eight years ago? Yeah, <sighs> um, ninety seven minutes long. Uh, uh, it was budgeted $145 million, uh, which required for it to make its money back. It would have to make $290 million. It made $306 million, which means it had about a $15 million, um, box office, uh, profit, which is not enough to warrant a sequel. Mm-hmm. Then you, when you have a movie and you're spending 145 million on it, it's got to really kick. No one's necessarily um, getting fired over it, but they're not going to be. Yeah. But, but they're, they're not clamoring to make another one, which I would have loved to see another one. Uh, this movie stars. Oh my gosh. So many. Chris, P- Chris Pine, Alec Baldwin, Hugh Jackman, Isla Fitcher, and Jude Law. Um, just just kicking butt and taking names. Uh, each one of them doing an incredible job in their 
in their roles. It is uh, directed by Peter Ramsey. Um, I can't tell you anything else that he's done. It looks, oh, well, actually, I can tell you something else he's done. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, the maybe best superhero movie oh, ever. Oh, dang. Made. Wow. Uh, and um, and and uh, he is a black man and is the first African-American to be nominated and win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Oh. Um, uh, which is which is interesting because this is a for for this is a film that is decidedly absent uh, people of color in the film. I think there was um, there was one there was one black kid in the group of kids at the end. Yeah, and it was it was you know, but again, you know, that is something that we're looking for maybe more now than we were eight years ago. Um, uh, There's a and, lot that's happened and, in eight years. And, and good better. stuff. Like, hey, let's let's say, hey, world, some stuff that happened in the last eight years is good. Yeah, we've got good stuff. <laughs> stuff that we're considering. Um, so, uh, so this film, um, in terms of the in terms of the reception, I'm just kind of run through deception. It won quite a few awards. Um, and the critical response is that it holds a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes average score of 6.5 out of 10. Again, uh, not huge, but it, it is a it is a, a generally respected film. Solid at the is time. How I would describe it. At the time, and this is important, um, it was considered to be kind of a flop. Um, it uh, it lost $83 million, it said, because of how much marketing that they did for it, um, which tells me it probably didn't make very much money here in the States. And so, yeah, this is considered a box office bomb. I don't uh, I don't quite understand how that happened um, because this is, you know, maybe it's not your favorite film, but it's certainly not a, it's not a disaster. This seems like a film that should have, this should have been a huge hit. Like in terms of, I, if I were a Hollywood studio and mm-hmm. someone like, hey, we want to make an Avengers film with all the holiday people we're going to release it at Christmas time. I would go, yeah, this is the, like, yes, spend every dollar on this. This is going to be huge and it's going to be a perennial favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's cast all these amazing people. Yes. And I'd look at the story. Yes. And I watched the finished film and whether or not you liked it or, or or didn't like it so much, you know, it, you'd go, yeah, this this should this should be marketable. This this should work uh, on on a marketing standpoint. But it just goes to show, you never know, mm-hmm. um, because this film lost, according to this, according to Wikipedia, lost eighty three million dollars. It's um, it's part of the the beauty of artistic creativity is that you can do something exactly by the numbers and follow the formula to perfection and still not catch that certain something. Yeah. Um, so. So let's talk about uh, about whether or not it did catch that certain something. Uh, I would ask you where you were the first time you saw this. Uh, but you were in your house yesterday. I was in my house yesterday. Uh, although I will say it was a one my my birthday present to me was a was a new uh, 4K TV as well as a, a sound bar, uh, and this was a fantastic movie to to test that out. Uh, yeah, we uh we we have a a um, projection here with some surround sound, and we 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 watched it there. I um you can find this cheap in 3D if you have 3D capabilities at your home. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, out there, I did not get it on 3D. Uh, I kind of wish I had because, uh, my younger son, uh, really, really loved it. And I think when we get to the end, um, of this conversation, we'll talk about who it's for. And maybe that's one of the reasons it do, do quite so well, mm-hmm. uh, because, um, I wonder how much he'll be into it next year. Mm. Um, that's a, it's, it's an interesting question to ask, but, uh, for now, can you tell us please what is rise of the guard? What is rise of the guard? We haven't even said what this is about. 
And what, what we're talking about. Uh, what is Rise of the Guardians? I mean, well, the elevator pitch for Rise of the Guardians is, hey, it's a superhero movie, except the Avengers team is made up of all of the children's characters from uh, Myth and Holidays, like, you know, the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. It's like, what if we gave them all epic badass powers and put them against an enemy? Which, as far as elevator pitches go, that's, I'd, you know, I'd drop money to see something like that. It's a great concept. Uh, but this is what happened in this particular iteration of this. Rise of the Guardians. A boy named Jack Frost is awakened from a frozen pond with no memory of anything before. He soon realizes that no one can see or hear him. We jump to 300 years later, where Jack, as the young spirit of winter, enjoys delivering snow days to school kids and giving them lots of fun, but he resents that they do not believe in him. We flash to the <coughs> North Pole, to the North Pole, where we meet Nicholas St. North, not Santa Claus. His name is not Santa Claus. We did not say Santa Claus. Yes, he's Santa Claus, but he's not Santa Claus. He's Nicholas St. North. Uh, anyway, he is at his palace where he is warned by the man in the moon that Pitch Black, the boogeyman, has returned and is threatening the children of the world with his nightmares. So he calls in his super team of the Easter Bunny, the Sandman, and the Tooth Fairy. They are the Guardians. They are also told by the man in the moon that Jack Frost has been chosen to be a new Guardian, which Bunny is not thrilled with, but he brings him to the North Pole regardless. North then explains to Jack that every Guardian has a center, something that they are the Guardian of, but a call for help from Tooth's fairies ends the conversation. They flash to Tooth's world, uh, which looks kind of like a cool palace in India, where it is being raided by Pitch's nightmares, kidnapping all of her subordinate Tooth fairies, except one named Baby Tooth, who's adorable, and stealing all the teeth. Jack learns that each and every Baby Tooth contains childhood memories of the children who lost it, Jack's teeth included. However, because the teeth are stolen, he cannot learn of his memories. Moreover, the stolen teeth weaken children's beliefs in the Tooth Fairy. In order to thwart Pitch's plan, the group decides to collect more children's teeth. During their journey, a quarrel between North and Bunny awakens one young boy, Jamie. Since Jamie still believes, he can see everybody, except for Jack. Pitch's nightmares then attack, provoking Sandy, the sister of Jamie, as the guardian of dreams. Oh, sorry, no, that's Sophia's the sister. Provoking Sandy, the Sandman, as the guardian of dreams. Jack tries to intervene, but Pitch aims a bow at Sandy, who is overwhelmed and disappears in a hero's death. As Easter approaches, the dejected guardians gather in Bunny's home. With the unexpected aid of Jamie's little sister, Sophie, they begin the process of painting eggs for Easter. After Jack takes Sophie home, he is lured to Pitch's lair by a voice. Pitch taunts him then with his memories and fear of non-belief, distracting him for just long enough for Pitch to destroy all the eggs, causing the children to stop believing in Easter and the Easter Bunny. With the Guardian's trust in him lost, ashamed Jack isolates himself in Antarctica, where Pitch tries to convince him to join his side. But when Jack refuses, Pitch threatens to kill Baby Tooth unless Jack gives him his staff, the source of his magic. He agrees, but Pitch then breaks Jack's staff and throws him down a chasm. Baby Tooth hands Jack his baby teeth, which unlock his memories. He learns that he was a mortal teenager who fell to his death in the very frozen pond he emerged from while saving his younger sister. Inspired by the realization that he is and has always been a guardian, Jack repairs his staff and returns to the lair to rescue the kidnapped baby fairies. Due to Pitch, every child in the world, except, except Jamie, is now a disbeliever, drastically weakening the guardians. Finding Jamie's belief wavering, Jack makes it snow in his room, renewing Jamie's belief and letting him become the first person to ever believe in and see Jack. They gather the boy's friends, including one black kid, whose renewed belief bolsters their fight against Pitch. He threatens them, but their dreams prove stronger than his nightmares, resulting in Sandy's resurrection and the Guardians reuniting. Defeated and no longer believed in, Pitch tries to retreat, but his nightmares, sensing his own fears, turn on him and drag him to some underworld somewhere. Afterward, Jamie and 
and his friends bid goodbye to the Guardians as Jack accepts his place as the Guardian. Having found his center, he is the Guardian of Fun Fiend. Very, very, very good stuff. So it um, occurs to me as I'm reading this plot that it, in many ways, it, for the better, there are aspects of this that seem like it was written by a six-year-old's fever dream in the sense of it's like, oh yeah, they're stealing the baby teeth and the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny are fighting. We've got to find eggs to help. And it's and yet somehow it all works. Yeah, no, it, it does. And I th- there are two things that occurred to me while you were saying this. Um, the first being there's a real like sort of so i have this thing that i do and i invite everybody else to do it with me it's from my buddy josh uh josh saxon uh another audiobook uh uh guy actually Ooh. josh saxon um who uh as as is uh as uh, mr arthur here uh um so josh was is is a big fan of 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 dark dark movies and at one point when the first sequel to silence of the lambs hannibal came out he thought it was terrible and we like to laugh at it the end of hannibal ends with um, with uh, a character's head has been opened up and Hannibal is slowly cutting out pieces of his brain and frying it and mm-hmm. scooping out little bits of his brain and frying it. And ever, as he scoops out the brain, the guy gets stupider and stupider and stupider to the point where he's just having a good time even though his brain is getting eaten in front of him because mm-hmm. parts of his brain are missing. So whenever I get to a movie or a story or a TV show and I'm sitting there with Mrs. J and and it's just not, I have I want to keep enjoying it, but I can't. I just go scoop mm-hmm. and I put my head over near her and she pretends she has a spoon and scoops out a little piece of my <laughs> brain. And then I go, but okay. So the part where I had to scoop here was um, Sophie like totally hung out with all of them. And literally like a day later, is one of the Believers, she's a disbeliever. Yes, you're what the so hell, right. Sophie? <laughs> what the hell? Oh, what do we have to do? Is the minds of young girls. What do we have to do? <laughs> oh my gosh, Sophie! It was I'm I, mad at you. You know what? I, it was funny because I was just thinking. I was like, yeah, there really wasn't actually that many times I needed to scoop, but no, the Sophie—that's a big old scoop. That's a big old uh, scoop. Yeah. Big old scoop. So, so I guess the other thing that we have to say before going any further, a spoiler alert, uh, a big giant spoiler alert. We will be talking about the the nature and origins of one St. Nicholas likely oh, at some point yes. in this. So for all so, of the five-year-olds who are regular listeners of this show, yeah, it's, to which it's, my it's first question boring. is what it's is not, wrong with not, your parents? Uh, but yeah, then it's, after it's that. Not, but, but if you're like if you're like me, listening to a podcast in the kitchen or just have it on in the background uh, Oh, yeah, homeschooling, that makes sense. Like, like, like maybe put on some headphones um, because it's just going to be boring for for kids who, mm-hmm. you know, who, who like we're just going to be talking about people who totally the, exist. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's been said out loud. OK, so that's the first thing. Um, so so the second thing I, I thought about, it's funny, Hugh Jackman is this because is this the plot of the first X-Men movie? <laughs> it is. So. All right. We got I, I got to dive right like, in on like, this is actually, and it's, it's X Men. It's not the, it's pl- the first X Men. It's not the plot of the first X Men, and here's why. And it, but it's very why? different. Um, <laughs> it's not the plot of the first X Men. It's the plot of Ninjas versus Vampires. Uh, and here is why. Because, oh my gosh! <laughs> because it is. I remember uh, when you were making Ninjas. So Ninjas versus Vampires, which was your sequel to Ninjas versus Zombies, and you were saying it's like, well, we've got to. Re- I've got to introduce.
introduce this completely new protagonist because people who are just coming to this there, I need to introduce them to a world that is already established of ninjas fighting evil, but I need to do it in a way where, you know, newcomers can be uh, ushered into it, which is why we're going to create this completely new character who just suddenly comes into this world. And so we discover along with them. It is a tried and true storytelling trope. Uh, However, it's shadow side that I've realized is it creates the situation where we have an established superhero team that is a crack squad that is trained, has worked together, they have camaraderie, years and years of experience and history, and suddenly they they face a foe that requires this new kid who's just been, you know, there for maybe less than a week, but somehow has all the power needed in order to do what the crack team of superheroes could not. Uh, okay, yeah, no, I, I, I think the parallels are... I think what we've discovered is that I just I stole Ninjas vs. Vampires from the first X-Men movie. Um, But the first X-Men movie, they were all like the team was put together all at the same time. But Wolverine was not. You see, Wolverine shows up at the X-Mansion. Rogue finds Wolverine uh, out there. Rogue's also found pretty early, right? No, no. So the first X-Men movie, Rogue touches a kid. The kid passes out. She goes to she goes to Canada and it's just walking around Canada. She goes to this bar, and in the bar, she finds Wolverine having this crazy bar fight with a guy. Mm-hmm. They realize they're both mutants, and then they both get attacked on the road by Sabretooth, mm-hmm. and and they get brought to the X-Mansion, and Wolverine So, it's, so wakes... it's two new people introduced instead of one. Yeah, but she's not really doing anything. That's it's fair. It's really Logan's story. Yeah. And Logan wakes up, and they're like, we're a crack team, and we know what to do, but we need your help. And he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm a loner. I do my own thing, and I'm kind of you you what you guys are doing it's dumb because what i do is awesome and they're like but don't you want to be part of a found family and he's like no i don't yes i do okay when you when when you put it that way you are making an extremely good argument for this being the the plot of the x-men yes and 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 having hugh jackman in it Um, so, so yeah, so I, but I mean, it's, I'm sure that you could find a number of movies where, where somebody joins on and, and, and it is the, the rogue who also saves the day at the end. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it is, it's not breaking any new ground here. Um, and maybe it doesn't need to, because the, the, the concept of it is such a, you know, it's a wonder. Yeah. It's, it is a wonder to explore each of the world's. Um, I wish we had seen Sandman's world a little bit because mm-hmm. the world of dreams would have been an interesting thing to see. But the way they they show you the other three worlds mm-hmm. is is you know is kind of fun. You get to have the same Jack's wonder at it, like oh my gosh, look at everything that's here. Yeah. Um, and at uh, heart, this is a movie about wonder. Yeah. Um, and and again, as we're talking, maybe I'm starting to understand why it didn't do as well. Because you're right, this is a great pitch for a five year old, but this would not be a good movie for a five year old. This is a movie. For for seven to nine-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and a nine-year-old is going to almost think it's too silly, mm-hmm. and a six-year-old is going to think it's too scary. Yeah. So you've got this little window of of these of the kids who can see it which is why i wonder my my younger one who is nine i wonder when he's 10 if this is going to be a little you know when when, when he's into watching just marvel and star wars is this going to be a little now not doing i could see a version of this story uh, and it should be noted this film is based on a series of novels called the the guardians of childhood uh which i looked into very briefly and there's a there's a whole series of them uh but i could see an argument being made for you could do 
a PG-13 film of this written by Neil Gaiman where, right. you know, they really delve into like some of the darker parts of the history of each of these characters. Um, so they're still heroes, but by making it PG-13, you're able to bring in a much uh, more adult and darker element. And that could also create a very interesting story for, say, you and I, but it would be very hard to sell to parents of. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. You and I might not go see it because, I mean, frankly, it's an animated story about Santa Claus and Easter Bunny. And, you know, I, I'm not really going to go see those. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing that, that it's... Let me figure out how to say this. Um... A movie that stars Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny when you go to their world must necessarily be filled with that scene. You have to have that scene where Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, look how it works. Yeah. And yet I've seen that scene a lot of times Mm -hmm. and I've seen Hop quite a few times and it's Easter Bunny world is better than the Easter Bunny world we get. Mm-hmm. And certainly I would say that things like Elf and 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 other worlds that I've seen about how Santa works have been better than this version of that. Um, so part of maybe the problem with the wonder aspect of this is that I am, it's very familiar and I'm a bit underwhelmed instead of wonderwhelmed. It it is hard to be struck with wonder when you are traversing familiar territory. Yeah. And I think what Elf does so beautifully is it gives you the sense of wonder while at the same time undercutting it with humor Mm -hmm. the, the whole time. Realize this last night watching, um, uh, watching, we're watching a Christmas story right now and watching, uh, the incredibly funny, honest trailer for a Christmas story that's Mm -hmm. out. But you know the 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 chairman elf in Elf who is giving Buddy a hard time is like, boy, I'm just getting behind. His Buddy is just killing me out there. Oh yeah, it's it's Richie. It's Ra- it's Ralphie. Ralphie, that's it's right. Ralphie mm-hmm. from from a Christmas story. Yeah, just thought I'd throw Ra- who is also ironic and maybe not ironically because Elf is directed by John Favreau. Uh, Peter Billingsley is also an executive producer on Iron Man. Oh, very um, cool. So there is uh, just apropos of nothing uh, on Netflix. They've got a new series called the I think it's something like the Holiday Movies That Made Us. Uh, and yeah. Elf is the first one to do a wonderful hour long look into. I've the loved of the Elf. toys that made us and yeah. and stuff. So I, I I like I like what those guys do. So I'm gonna I, I probably will check check those out. Um. So so yeah, I think the problem that you're that that you're running to r- running into the part of the movie that's maybe a little slow. I'm grinning during the world building and the and the and the things they're showing us that are wonderful. I'm certainly not like hating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am not like, wow, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not, it's yeah. not hitting me the Yeti, just because you, the Yeti and the elves are charming and delightful. And, you know, both of them, they're, they're really funny. Uh, I enjoyed them, but yeah, it wasn't struck by, there was no sense of newness to them. It's just like, oh, like the elves are reminiscent of the minions and the Yeti are sure. like big hairy grumpy minions yeah and and i think that that's i think you're absolutely right there so it's somewhere between minions and the stuff they show you in the santa claus Mm -hmm. it's like right it's right there yeah um and it's not it's not bad it's just you know but it's not what the movie's about i can tell you when i'm grinning Mm -hmm. when when santa pulls out two giant swords i am i am clapping i am really the 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 absurdity of like these are people who do violence here's the thing in this movie they're just smashing up dreams made of dust, right? That's what mm-hmm. they're doing. But these guys each have weapons and they know how to use them. They use them very well, which which tell and they and they've been into you say they're a crack team. 
at some point, and they're they're not like that worried. They're not like trying to save Pitch at the end of this, mm-hmm. right? They're not trying to, to. So at some point in the stories we haven't seen leading up to this, these guys just kill. These are killers. The, and, uh, and, and these are deadly weapons that these guys use. And you like like if you see what Sandman does, at some point they fought some invading force and ended their lives. Yeah, you, you um, get that and, sense. Well, I so again reading into the books that uh, I, I read the wiki on uh, the books that created this because my mid question was it's like okay why don't they call him Santa Claus? Uh, why is he called like Nicholas St. North? And why specifically did they choose to make him Russian? Uh, which was a great take. Apparently in the books, Nicholas St. North was a, he was a, in his human life, was they was a Cossack bandit leader. So you know that guy came from uh, a bit of an, an ambiguous moral past uh, just based on that origin. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, they, they are, it's just, it, 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 when he pulls out the swords, I'm like, oh, this guy's, this guy's gonna murder someone. <laughs> Yeah, Santa's pretty badass in this. Yeah, and I and 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 I dig that. I would almost be down. I think that movie would. See, so I, I, you know, truth be told, at one point I I was writing a story treatment that I eventually bailed on called "Badass Santa." <laughs> um, uh, because I just like the idea of a Santa Claus that went out there and was hardcore and just like like kicked butts and take names. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is one Santa that's going out the front door. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for anybody out there who's a big fan of Scrooged, um, the night the reindeer died. If if anyone wants to gift me of like a movie poster for the night the reindeer died, starring Lee Majors, I am so down <laughs> because Scrooged is 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 annual watching in this house. Um, but I I I feel like that's a movie that might have done really really well, like a like a kick ass superhero mm-hmm. Santa. And then if this if this was the sequel to that movie, this might have done really really well. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. Because I I I love I I love I mean Santa's my favorite character in this. It just it, it's got to be said he's he's wonderful. Uh, yeah. And it's, especially it's such the, an unusual take. And it's him. not just that it's like so on the surface it's hey check out this cool Santa he's got naughty tattooed on one arm and nice tattooed on the other. <laughs> And he's uh, and he's, you know, Russian and he fights with these swords and his reindeer are these massive beasts like that are larger than draft horses that he commands by sheer force of will. But all of that adds to Santa being a great character here. But what really makes it and what I love is when Santa admits that at his center, at the core of it, he is a wide eyed child filled with wonder. Like so it makes Santa badass. But at the same time, there is no cynicism. It fully embraces the traditional root of Santa, um, which I kind of like because it sends the message that you can be 100% filled with wonder and delight and all these things that are traditionally associated with uh, you know, with childishness or weakness or something and still be this raging badass, this raging badass. The other thing I feel like this movie does really, really well um, is it sort of codifies in a, in a very specific way, something that we always kind of, I think everybody sort of not believes, but in, in, in the background of the way they think things would work, like in the case that these creatures were real, the fact is, is that when you're a child, you absolutely believe in them. Mm-hmm. And when you're an adult, you you absolutely do not. But what if they were real? And when you lost, like I think Polar Express does this well with the bell. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if they were real, and then when you got older, you lost faith in them. What is it that that like they would step through you? You wouldn't see them. Mm-hmm. And if everybody lost faith in them, they would continue to exist.
exist, continue it, to have a life. It is a but you. It is a very common uh, theme in stories about uh, supernatural creatures or even about gods that uh, the power of a deity is directly a result of how many people believe in them. I think what I found interesting is that it's not that they die when people stop believing. Yeah, you know, Jack Jack Frost doesn't have anyone who believes in him, mm-hmm. and he is absolutely he's lonely, and he and and he is kind of misanthropic at the beginning, but he, you know, he is able to still communicate and speak to the other guardians. He's seen them before. Mm-hmm. They've, they've had relations with one another, um, at least the bunny and he have. Um, but he has a will. He's doing things. He's still doing his job, even though no one knows he's there. Nobody believes in him. Um, he's actually able to affect them by, by boom, they like the snow. You see that, mm-hmm. but there is no one who believes in him at all. He has no direct interactive power. Um, but he continues to exist. And I think that that's a, that's a real, it's, it's just an unusual way to go. And I think it's really neat. It's mm-hmm. sort of like what, what happens to, what happens to Woody and Buzz if there are no children? Ooh. Like they do, they do yeah. continue to exist. Yeah. They are still alive. They're out there doing whatever Woody and Buzz would do without children. Although I think but you, it's lonely. You just pointed out something that might be another scoop to me, which is we see when children uh, lose their belief in the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny, they are weakened to such a degree. Like the tooth fairy, she can no longer fly. The Easter bunny turns into this tiny little bunny thing that are, they are completely ineffective in influencing the world around them at all. Jack Frost, who no one has been able to, who no one has believed in for hundreds and hundreds of years, is still able to, you know, create massive amounts of ice whenever he wants uh, to mind control people into having fun, essentially. Uh, Like, Jack Frost, with no belief in him, is way more powerful than any of the other characters when they have their belief lost. Well, because his his innate power is, is so strong as it is, right? This guy can control all winter weather. He's practically Iceman. He's Iceman without the belief. So you're saying he's you an Ome- so Jack Frost might be our first Omega level guardian. Yeah, like like it's it's great that 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 you know the Easter Bunny can make eggs and stuff, but if you don't believe in him, he's he's essentially mm-hmm. he comes down to he's a bunny. Well, Jack Frost, you don't believe him, comes down to him, he's essentially he's Iceman. still winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So which begs um, the terrifying question: now that the children do believe in him, what will he become? Rise of the Guardians two, the Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> We have to kill Jack Frost. No! There is the, uh, so this movie is about belief. Uh, and I know we're kind of, we're, we're not really following our normal formula right now. Um, but that's all right. It's the holiday special. Uh, this movie is about belief and what it means to believe. And I keep thinking one of the most interesting things that my father ever told me about was we, without realizing it, when we say belief, we mean one of two things. And those two definitions overlap a lot more than we think they do. Uh, for instance, when you ask somebody, do you believe in God? What you are asking them is, do you believe God exists? However, if you were going through a difficult time and I were to look at you and say, Justin, I believe in you. I am not telling you, Justin, I think you exist. (laughs) I'm saying something completely different. And uh, uh, I think I could be wrong on this. uh, So no one out there quote me on it. But I think the the original in Latin, the word for belief, uh, which I think was fetus, uh, has the same 
root as loyalty. So the idea is belief is a loyalty to an idea. Uh, and, and from that, we get the two branching paths of, I believe in you. I think this is possible. You know, I, you can do this. I am loyal to the idea that you can achieve this in the same way that I am loyal to the concept of this being. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm delving into deep philosophical territory right now, but I think this movie really did raise an interesting thing. And it certainly is the question about Santa Claus. Frequently, the way that we answer children when they ask, is Santa Claus real? Frequently, we, our answer comes out to some version of, well, yes, but not in the way that you thought. Um, which leads to the idea of belief evolving. As a kid, we believe, as a young child, we believe Santa Claus is absolutely real. There is an actual man at the North Pole with elves and all these things. And as we grow older, if we still keep our sense of wonder, we don't stop believing in Santa Claus. We're still just as moved by the yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus uh, article. But it's just that we we understand that when we say I believe in Santa Claus, it means something different than when we said it uh, when we were kids. All right, I'm going to ask you. This is going to be. I'm going to do a thought experiment right here. All right, and I want to see what I want to see what happens. And you're going to be my my guinea pig in this. Ready? Here we go. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me something about Shakespeare, please? Tell me an opinion that you have about Shakespeare, or something you something about like your interaction with Shakespeare. Tell me to just just give me give me something about about Shakespeare. Shakespeare was a brilliant wordsmith who had a tremendous amount of fun with his language. Okay, now. If I were to ask somebody how they feel about Shakespeare, what might happen to the word was? Because it's really interesting. Oh, well, here's the thing about Shakespeare. He's, yeah. So suddenly it becomes a present tense. Yes. Yeah. So, interesting. So people, people, people go, 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 oh, Sh- Sh- Shakespeare, Shakespeare is the best playwright. Or, or, mm-hmm. Shakespeare, Sh- Shakespeare is, is like, like, and sometimes you're not even talking about the man. You, you go, I love Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I love Shakespeare. Yeah. Do you? Did you meet him? Mm-hmm. Do you know, you know he, he's been dead for a really long time. Do, do you look uh, at pictures of Shakespeare and say, oh, yeah, I want me some of that? Yeah. Oh, foof, look at that neck ruffle. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, so it's interesting that that Shakespeare is an idea. It's a number of ideas. It's a lexicon of ideas. Especially when you um, add to the fact that there's this huge historical dispute over whether or not an actual person named Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare's plays. But my thought to that, and granted I'm no scholar, my answer to that is at this point, it's Shakespeare has evolved beyond whether or not the person existed. He's an, I'll take, he's an idea. I, I would, yeah, I will take it a step further. If I were to ask 20 people what they thought of Shakespeare, they would give me their opinions of this that and that then if i would go to 20 people and go okay how much of shakespeare have you experienced i would say that probably 15 of those people will have seen one or two plays Mm -hmm. or maybe a movie adaptation once or twice um but they they would also go well shakespeare is oh i can't i can't handle shakespeare i can't it's like it's just all these things are about Mm -hmm. even the idea of shakespeare beyond even knowing what shakespeare is or is about which, um, which Shakespeare's totally a guardian. Yeah. By by the That's rules of how somebody goes from being a human to being a guardian in this film, Shakespeare would 100% be a guardian. Yeah. So I think it's just really interesting when when like there's an example, but I, we 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 digress mm-hmm. uh further as we as we reach the end of our of of our holiday special. So let's do what we always do and go really quickly through the characters in the movie and the actors playing them who I think again do so with a plum. Let's start off with Jude Law as P. 
Hitch, who's totally not Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, totally. Movie. Well, there's there's always there's two types of villains in an animated film, really. The there's the or like in a fantasy film, there's two types of villains. There's the very bestial, uh, not super smart, but still very powerful, overwhelming villain. Uh, reference the Kurgan from the original Highlander. Uh, and uh, and then better to fade, but better to burn out than yeah. fade away. That guy's in everything. <laughs> everything. Clancy Brown is everything. So he's Krusty Krab. He's everything. <laughs> the man is. I. I. So, where? While you talk, I'm going to sidebar real quick, and <laughs> I'm going to come back and tell you. I'm going to tell you everything. The Clancy Brown. I'm not kidding. We're going to. I'm going to give you a 20 second. There's nothing to do with this movie. Keep, do your thought. I'll be right. Okay. Just, so then, and then of course, the other kind of the villain is the very British, very smart uh, villain. The you know the oh I'm going to talk like this. And I'm so droll and I'm creating such havoc and terror with what I'm doing. But oh, oh, it's such a delight, is it not? Um, and Pitch is very much one of those. He is not the best example of one of those characters. Uh, I feel, um, you know, for, for better examples, Loki certainly is one. Scar from The Lion King. Uh, oh, yeah. The like he but he definitely leans heavy into the I am the intellectual British villain. Uh, and he's not bad. He turns it and uh, and again, Jude Law's performance is great. It's just in terms of the dialogue uh pitch is it's solid there's hints of a little bit of character depth but for the most part he exists to my job is to bring fear and that is 95 percent of his character um real quick while we're talking he is of course he's crusty crab um he's in the show wizard wizards he's king frederick in uh in rapunzel um, he is in DuckTales. He's like a thousand voices. He was on, of course, an episode of, uh, an episode of Mandalorian. Um, he is in Ultimate Spider-Man. He was in two episodes of Daredevil. Um, I, I, and this is just going back in the 2014s. He's been on Archer. He's been on Doom Patrol. He's been on... So Clancy uh, Brown is essentially, he is the Highlander equivalent of Mark Hamill. Yeah, he is. He is. He on, on Clone Wars, he was Savage Opress. Oh, he was Savage Opress. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, wait, oh, that that's some ir- irony because I'm going, oh my gosh, he was Savage Opress with the exact same tone that I'm going, oh my gosh, Mark Hamill was the voice of the Joker? Yeah, he was the one who, in, in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, he's the one who killed Freddy. Um, he was in Shawshank Redemption, of course. Um, I mean, I could just go on. This guy's been in, like, in voices has done literally everything, and he could do nothing else in his life except be the Kurgan or except be Krusty Krab, right? That's mm-hmm. it's or, or Mr. Krabs. So like, but yeah, Clancy Brown, amazing, amazing dude. Anyway, the total sidebar. Okay, here we go. Um, Isla Fisher, uh, who is totally not Amy Adams. Is uh is, is the tooth fairy? <laughs> what else has she done? Uh, I th- remember her. I've seen her in a few things, but I remember seeing her first in um Wedding Crashers, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, uh, she was also in The Great Gatsby. Uh, she was uh in Now You See Me. Uh, she was in I Heart Huckabees. Um, she was in Horton Here Here's a Who, Rango, Rise of the Guardians. Uh, she's recurring recurring role in two seasons of Arrested Development. Um, so yeah, she's been, she's done a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, uh, I think that she, I, I love her tooth fairy. Her tooth fairy is so sort of bubbly and, and, 
and fun and mm-hmm. the use of the fairies i think is really interesting the tooth's having memories is a little creepy yeah uh, the, how do you make the tooth fairy not really creepy when you think well, about it you know what i kind of like was that they sort of leaned into the fact that like she's adorable and cute but at one point it's just like look at these cute little teeth look at the blood and the gums so it's like it's acknowledging the fact that it's like no what she does is kind of creepy but she does yeah. it with such innocence that it kind of it works and it led to my favorite sequence in the film was all of them using their powers sort of jack skellington uh ish to to they're horning in on her holiday mm-hmm. so you know santa's leaving christmas trees and easter eggs yeah. are being oh my god that that whole series that was wonderful yeah yeah that, that that's 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 a ton of fun okay hugh jackman as the easter bunny is so weird it's the <laughs> weirdest thing to do I loved it. I loved it. And it was the weirdest, the weirdest thing you could do with the Easter Bunny. How do you make the Easter Bunny awesome? Mm -hmm. He's Australian for no reason. He's got, it's just, he'll beat you up. He's practically so here's the thing. I didn't even recognize the voice. I'm just watching it. I'm just like, oh, it's a heavy Australian and everything. And without even recognizing the voice, I'm just like, they probably cast Hugh Jackman in this. Room. Yep. Yep. They cast Hugh Jackman yep. in this. Absolutely. It's got to be Hugh Jackman. Yeah, it's got to be Hugh Jackman. Right? There are yeah. two choices. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, um, lo- love that. Uh, here, you give me your thoughts. Uh, final thoughts on, on Santa, because we talked about him briefly. And Alec Baldwin, unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. All right. So here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. My God, I every now and then I need to stop back and say, look, he's kind of ubiquitous. He's everywhere. Uh, I mean, shoot, Team America did this whole thing about making him like one of these A-list actors and he's so stuck up with himself about being such a great actor. Of course, the joke being in that movie is that he's not a very good actor. That's the yeah. that's the joke of that movie. Alec Baldwin is a tremendous actor. Say what you will about anything else about him. It's just he has he he has done so many roles that are very distinct from each other. Uh, I, and no, I completely did not recognize him until the credits in this film. And I loved what he did with Nicholas St. North. Yeah, I agree. I think that he's he's great. I think the character is the highlight of the film. I think it's the most interesting take that you could have done mm-hmm. um, on Santa. You made Santa suddenly awesome and and absolutely recognizable as the same Santa you know. Yes. But yeah. also but but also completely different than what you might expect. I mm-hmm. think it, it, it was um, a, a source of glee. And then Chris Pine as um, Chris Pine as, as Spider-Man. I mean, I'm sorry as uh as jack you see the joke being that he was yes. spider-man in, in into the spider-verse at first oh. the first spider-man who died who quipped and mm-hmm. stuff you see chris pine playing chris pine um uh doing a a, a, a great job uh mm-hmm. i think that i think that that jack is is expertly realized done really well not breaking any new ground yeah I mean, this is there's you know, the, I, and that's the thing like looking at it through the eyes of uh through the eyes of you know my 2020 sensibilities is like chris pine did a great job with this he there was pathos there was uh there was fun there was all those things but as i'm trying to figure out who it is like going through my mind it's like well it could be matt damon uh it could be chris pine it could be like it could be any number of of boyish white actors because that's snarky boyish boyish white actors um, because that is essentially what Jack Frost does. So Jack Frost is, as you say, breaks absolute, as a character, breaks absolutely zero new ground. It is a done, done and overdone trope, but this is a very good example of that trope. Uh, He is both snarky and likable. Uh, His, you know, when you see him as the actual human uh, trying to save his sister, like it, it carries weight it's this was this was not new but it was good yeah i mean he is he's 
and you're right. It's these characters that recur. Go back to Aladdin, right? He's Aladdin. He's Aladdin. He's, he's, he's totally Aladdin. He's Aladdin. Yeah. He's Ezra Bridger. He's the first half of Ryan Reynolds' career. Um, <laughs> not Ryan Reynolds now, because Ryan Reynolds now is is based around like pure randomness. Well, I would just um, Van Wilder was the start of Ryan Reynolds' career, and that was a very that, different thing. Is it though? Is his performance is this that different from Van Wilder or Green Lantern? Or like he's he's in there to to oh my gosh look how cool this is this is crazy uh, like uh, this is neat like that that's that's sort of I, I would make an argument that Van Wilder is the closest thing he's ever done to Deadpool so but yeah I take you at your meaning like certainly yeah his uh, his earlier career his uh, his Green he's Lantern. too school I think the term is too cool for school like he's just like he's, yes in this case he's Jack Fry so he's frozen for school yeah oh um, he's so frozen it's a school day um so so yeah I think that I, I think that it would have been funnier if I got the joke right and said. Yeah. Said snow day uh, instead of school day, yeah, but no, I, but I, 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 I went with you. Thank goodness I didn't call it out and let everybody know that I had messed up because <laughs> yeah. that would be ridiculous. They never would have noticed. They never would have noticed. Um, so, so yeah, I think that he's, um, he does a, a, a fine job. I'm into what the character is going through. There is no new ground, but I dig it. It's a short movie. I'm seeing enough other stuff. And he is as a, as an avatar for me, the watcher to go through everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is interesting enough on his own that I'm into his story, but really he is just, he is just the means by which I, I get to experience what he is experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, okay. All that being said on a scale of, oh boy, on a scale of, of one, one to five to f- baby teeth. Yeah, I was gonna say one to five molars covered with gum and blood. <laughs> what would you rate Rise of the Guardian? I would rate Rise of the Guardian a three point five. This is, I would say, this movie is a great example of the whole adding up to exactly the sum of its parts. Uh, there are a lot of individual things in this that was great. The animation was beautiful. Uh, the score was sweeping. The the characters were all fully developed. Yeah, um, we didn't talk about the animation at all. It was the animation was wonderful. Gorgeous. Um, Gorgeous. Yeah, just beautiful. Uh, And with all that, at the end of the day, I walked away from it thinking, hmm, that was good. That was a that was a solid, you know, way to spend the past 90 minutes. Uh, There was it it didn't have that certain something. I never caught my breath at any point in it. Uh, And for a movie about all of these characters from my childhood suddenly being badass superheroes, I kind of want to be able to catch my breath. Like I, I want to have that edge, that sense of being swept away a little bit more um so this is this movie is solidly good uh which is where i would put a 3.5 yeah i'm gonna be with you i think i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in at a 3.75 i think a 3.5 is absolutely fair um the reason i give it another 0.25 is because of there's something that a holiday movie needs to be able to to pull off in order if it's not going to be an all-out comedy and so mm-hmm. last night at the end of the night i watched uh i finished watching white christmas oh which love i do that. which i do every year mm-hmm. um um, there are parts of White Christmas that I hate. Um, uh, I'll, 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 I'll be on record as saying I think that Vera Allen is near. Here's the word you love so much. Unforgivably bad. Uh, in, in in the film, I don't you, understand. You don't like it when they're doing choreography? Uh, no, well, I hate that too. Uh, I hate that too. That, that it, almost, it almost makes me turn on Danny Kaye. No, what I don't like is that she's a terrible actor and she can't stop like looking at the camera like mm-hmm. all the time. She's constantly looking at the camera and you can tell in the editing that they, there's a parallel scene. My favorite scene in All of White Christmas, by the way, is this innocuous little scene where Bing Crosby and Danny Kay are changing clothes yes. and having, convers- having conversations about what their futures are going to be. And it's it's like almost all one take. 
and they are there, there's no acting in yeah, that scene although the scene living. is choreographed the yeah. scene is choreographed meticulously throwing choreographed. clothes back and forth like they like there's there's but they're the the delivery is just they're talking it, they are talking so like, profoundly grounded in that and scene. you, and you get the right. sense that they get the sense from by the way two guys who are not the strongest actors mm-hmm. like they like like they they're not jimmy stewart of the time they're not yeah. pulling out but in, in the scene i absolutely like I, I had to look up like did these guys because they didn't really know each other they mm-hmm. weren't like best friends or anything I got the sense that these the guys have been doing this killer. for 10 years yeah. I got I got 10 years of history in just the ease with which they're talking back and forth it's mm-hmm. an amazing scene there's a parallel scene with Rosemary Clooney and Vera Allen later that is edited all to hell and every time they edit the scene it's for Vera Allen to say her lines so it's a close up on Vera Allen back to her and I'm like oh she wasn't able to pull this off mm-hmm. she was getting it wrong so they had to cut to the director going okay say the line like this and then mm-hmm. she says the line and they come back to the scene and it's you you get like oh rosemary clooney is on the same page as bing crosby and, and danny Kaye. she's just mm-hmm. in it and vera allen has to be fed her lines in a line reading because she's just blowing it and mm-hmm. so that but what the movie does pull off at the, at the end of the movie is i got to get the goosebumps on the arms mm-hmm. if you're gonna if, yeah. if you're gonna do it yeah you don't always have to do it elf managed to pull it off but i didn't like harold and kumar christmas which is amazing Amazing. It's my favorite Harold and Kumar movie. Um, it's absolutely wrong. It will offend absolutely everyone. Um, Neil Patrick Harris is astounding <laughs> in the film um, as as an absolutely lascivious, gross, toxically masculine um, uh, lecher mm-hmm. who's just the worst. But his husband's in it because the third one came out after he came out as gay. Because in the first two, nobody knew no that he was gay. No one knew, yeah. And so he's playing this very... Uh, so the third one comes out after he's become famous again. And he's uh, he's America's sweetheart. And that's mm-hmm. what they call him in the film. And he's there with his husband. And like they're there. Oh, and the minute they go behind the group, what? Who <laughs> told you no tongue, man? What are you, effing gay? <laughs> but it's his, it's his actual husband in the role. It's not an actual actor playing his husband they actually got his husband david to do it with him oh that's choice it's, that's brilliant it's so funny the movie's really good and that movie at no point gives me the goosebumps but it doesn't need to it's just trying mm-hmm. to give me the laughs yeah the reason this one gets the other 0.25 stars is that it gives me the goosebumps okay at the end i'm like it doesn't give me the sense of wonder but at the end as i'm cuddling my nine-year-old next to me and we're watching it and it's about the power of belief and the kids step out i'm like oh okay, okay. all right yeah. darn it okay i got it so because it managed to give me the goosebumps on the arms for just a second at the end did not was not white christmas of five stars by the way maybe 4.75 because of vera allen and maybe 4.5 because of danny k but like it's still solid up there like mm-hmm. iron man quality yeah movie white christmas this one because of the goosebumps it managed to pull off being a, a, a good holiday movie to watch it pulled off being like hey you're gonna watch this you're gonna have a good time the action's good and at the end you'll get that little thing just for a second yeah. and that's all i need i well, need something to go with my I, I, goosebumps yeah. are easily worth 0. 20, 0. 0.25 yeah so that's that is um and my question is, is are there any other holiday superhero movies you know that there's somebody out there who's going to be just like die hard's a superhero film okay so so <laughs> let me be clear there are well uh, batman returns batman returns is a superhero movie that, that takes is a Christmas place movie. in the holidays. It, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. I watch it at Christmas. The, the last, the last, the last line of the movie is is Merry oh, Christmas, Merry Christmas Alfred. Alfred. Good, okay. good, good, good. Uh, 
peace on earth, goodwill toward men and women. And mm-hmm. that's the that's the last line in the movie. It is a Christmas movie. And the first line of the movie is Merry Christmas, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is a Christmas movie. But I mean specifically a movie that is a Christmas movie. The only one I could first. think of is um oh you mean something that is a christmas movie first and a superhero film second yeah something something that is decidedly not a movie that is like, like die hard or, or iron man 2 or batman returns where mm-hmm. christmas is a part of it but a movie the that is specifically- only thing i can think of is the 1980s film santa claus uh or maybe it's the santa movie um, is it santa with- claus the movie is the one with dudley moore the one with dudley moore yes okay because that one it finishes with like the same like it one of the, the climax things is santa claus like in his sleigh trying to there's you know kids in a car that's about to explode in a flying car that's about to explode and so he's like edging so he's like urging his people his uh, reindeer on into doing the loop-de-loop which they've never been able to do before like it's him trying to activate more powers that he hasn't had you it starts with an origin story of he's just some dude who suddenly is brought into this world and then suddenly discovers his powers there there's I guess I, I guess a case could be made for the Santa Claus following the same pattern as Spider-Man yeah yeah where where, where, where like he doesn't realize he has these powers and oh my mm-hmm. gosh what's it like, like oh my gosh him, what's the thing yeah yeah that's very much like the first spider-man movie so mm-hmm. interesting cool stuff man well i'm glad we got we're able to do this again sorry about the delay yeah. um uh, we have uh, it's the we're recording the 7th of December I'll guess that this will probably go up the 10th of December we mm-hmm. will try and get another one in the next couple of weeks but I think that it's most likely that you guys are going to hear and be hearing back from us um, probably the week after Christmas is, mm-hmm. is the most likely thing with Fantastic Four and Rise of Silver Surfer yeah. and um, and the again the Charlie's Theron one the uh, the, the old, old guard, guard. yeah the, the the old guard and then there's again there's there's this ton of stuff that we still have to hit um, and, and I'm just excited uh, to be doing the totally super podcast with you mm-hmm. um uh, congratulations to you sir thank you um on behalf of the listeners uh i was one of the first to know so i i'm not new to telling you but uh but the listeners are just finding out so on mm-hmm. their behalf congrats and merry christmas to you happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa happy solstice whatever it is that makes you happy here at the end of 2020 maybe it's just happy end of 2020 <laughs> um it's, maybe maybe that's the thing uh stay safe uh if you can stay home please people um and 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 be safe out there Uh, my name is justin and my name is arthur and happy holidays and especially considering the nature of the movie we were just discussing this carries extra weight hey there true believers stay super now that you've finished the show be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the totally super podcast also if you like this you should head over to geeksradio.com or search geeks radio wherever you listen to podcasts there you can find trek off the not safe for work star trek podcast with justin and alexia so search for trek off search for pop off search for geeks radio and just thanks for joining us this has been a presentation of Enlight entertainment 